So I think about God. I think about Genesis chapter 1. I think about what a creative game planner he is. It's good to have a good game plan. Do you guys know that he did it perfectly? It was a good plan. As we're going to see next time we're in Genesis, we're the ones that blew it. Do you guys know it's just good to go along with God's ways, his plans, right? Don't lean on our own understanding, but we should acknowledge him in all of our ways, okay? He does have a plan. He does have a path for all of us. That's one thing that I love about the scriptures, guys, as we get into the word, God just tells us how things are. This is what I've done. This is what I'm asking of you. Now it's your choice. Are you going to believe? Are you going to trust? Are you going to obey? And that's why the word of God is so good for you and I. And even this morning, a lot of you guys are familiar with Genesis chapter 1. A lot of you guys are very familiar with verse 1 because we've been in this verse for a few weeks. And uh, we're going to go right back to that and Lord willing get into this whole chapter this morning together. But one thing I love about Genesis, it is a book of beginnings. You consider with me for a moment all the beginnings that you and I find when we first open the Bible and we begin to read. There is so much that Genesis brings out, so many firsts, the beginnings of so the universe, right? The beginning of the universe is right there, and it's explained for you and I. Our solar system, the Earth's atmosphere, the hydrosphere, life, humanity, okay? The beginning of marriage and how that looked. The beginning of evil, the beginning of language, the beginning of government, the beginning of culture, the beginning of God's people, Israel. I remember just a year ago, we were gearing up here at Freedom Fellowship to take a trip to Israel. A handful of you guys went with us. That was just a year ago. That flew by. But what a blessing to see what God had planned from the beginning for redemption. And we see redemption begin right in the beginning of Genesis. So a major theme of Bible doctrine, really, if you consider every one we could think of throughout the scriptures, every major doctrine has its roots in the book of Genesis. That's how unique this book is for you and I. And if you guys think about Genesis being the foundation of our faith, you guys know that every other book, all other 65 books of the Bible are erected from these truths, these foundations of our faith. And that's why the enemy of God has tried so vigorously to attack the credibility of Genesis. And yet, it's to no avail. Okay, They keep trying, but it ain't working. The Word of God is going to stand. So, I want us to never forget, guys, when it comes to... Um, no less than the authority of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior himself, okay? He quoted Genesis. He's like, this is legit. <laughs> this is foundational. These are truths that my people need to understand and get. So he spoke to Genesis, the record of it as being historical, as being scientifically reliable, and I am so thankful for that. And if our Lord held Genesis to be literal, do you think maybe we should probably do the same thing? I think that's probably logical because let me tell you what, Jesus is way smarter than me or any one of you guys, okay? He's God. So he interpreted it literal. I think we should too. So let's take a look at verse 1 here. Open up your Bibles. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's amazing that the most ancient and most... (laughs) Uh, explosive, far-reaching moment in all of history of our entire universe gets covered in one short verse. Concise, sweeping statement here. Just ten words. Did you guys catch them? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whoop, there it is. I think about how many books have been written on trying to explain this. Some of them are fat. Many words, and they're all wrong. God is right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here are ten words, rich, pregnant with meaning, as any other ten words that have ever been written. 
One verse answers all of life's big questions. The who, the what, the when, and the where. Right? Who are we? We're God's creation. Right? Well, what's our purpose then? Well, a creation is supposed to be there for the pleasure of the Creator. Well, when did it occur? In the beginning. And where are we going? Well, since God created us, we can assume that He has a plan for us. Pretty simple, all in verse 1. And those are some big questions that humanity has if we would just believe the first verse of the Bible. Henry Morris, the Genesis record, 608 beautiful pages you guys can read. Um, Great commentary. But I wanted to paraphrase something that he laid out in light of uh, verse 1 of Genesis. He really refutes all uh, false religions of the world. And I love how he broke this down. Atheism, and he explains it, but I'm not going to explain atheism. You guys know what atheists are, right? They don't believe in God. Okay, atheism. It's because the universe was created by God. Okay? Um, That's why they're against it. We have pantheism, he brings up. For God is separate from what he created. Polytheism, another false belief out there. They say for one God created all things. They can't deal with that. Materialism, for a matter had beginning. Humanism, since God, not man, is the ultimate reality. We don't want to deal with that. And then... um, Evolutionism. They have a problem because God created all things. You guys see how every religion in the world is anti-truth? Anti-God? There can only be one truth. You guys ever think about that? There only can be one truth. You can't have multiple truths. Well, that's not true. Well, is that true or not? It's true. There only can be truth. Do you guys get it? There only can be truth. So again, guys, Verse 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. So Genesis 1.1 doesn't say, in the beginning of God. It says, in the beginning, God. So the Bible tells us that God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. I love what King David's saying in 1 Chronicles 16.36, if you're taking notes. Blessed be the Lord and God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting think about that that's our god he always has been always will be that is god well i can't get that pastor my brain can't comprehend yeah it's only three pounds okay you're not the smartest in the, we can, it's beyond our understanding we just can't get that i can somehow understand life goes on do you guys have kind of like that understanding or feeling of eternity within you like you know that we just keep going but it's hard to turn around and say it's always been that i have a hard time with that okay and the reason why eternity is in you like that we're told by god in his word that he's written eternity in our hearts that's why it's there that's why we know it So I wanted to briefly talk a little bit more apologetics and science, and then we're going to fly through chapter 1. I promise you guys, if Jesus does not return, and we don't freeze to death, we will (laughs) get through chapter 1. Just 80 years ago, guys, there was a prevailing consensus among scientists. Um, It was that matter, the the universe, uh, was eternal, that it had uh, no beginning. Well, the assertion squared nicely with the world's major religions, except for Judaism and Christianity. And the reason being, guys, today, the consensus, it's changed radically since then. There's very few scientists that suggest any longer that matter is forever. Instead, today, scientists speak of the day of creation. Scientists now believe that the universe is both expanding in decelerating, meaning that it once had a beginning. Today, the prevailing hypothesis for the original, or the origin, sorry, of the universe is the Big Bang. Okay, And you guys know that's theorized that about 13.8 billion years ago, hydrogen gas, this cloud exploded, and from that exploded, you know, evolved these galaxies, the solar systems, and planets. 
But of course, the major problem with the Big Bang Theory is where did that original hydrogen come from? That's what I, where did it come from? Someone had to put it there, right? And how did that random explosion, you know, orderly put things into systems? That doesn't make sense, okay? We had a beautiful snowstorm, okay? Did any of you guys see some snowman just magically evolve in your front yards? No, we saw little creatures out there rolling snow into balls and making this, someone made those, okay? Things just don't come together, aren't created, unless there's a creator. So one recent version of the Big Bang, and I spoke previously on one of our studies about the inflationary uh, Big Bang, it suggests that the universe organized and matured very early in its first moments of existence. You had the initial infusion of energy, and bang, uh, followed by immediate development. So rather uh, than Carl Sagan, okay, you guys remember him? Uh, he, he spoke to that. This sounds more like Genesis 1-1 to me, if we're honest, okay? Bang, God spoke, and there it was, okay? It makes a lot more sense. So it's humorous that many of today's evolutionary scientists, without wanting to admit it, are moving closer and closer to a biblical account of creation. That's what we're seeing with the science community today. And I love it, guys. Why? Because God's always right. Um, in his book, God and the Astronomers, uh, cosmetologist Dr. Robert Jastrow makes this concession. I want you guys to listen. He says, it is not a matter of another year, another decade of work, another measurement, or another theory. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> Why? Because science is always catching up with the Word of God. And while we're talking about the Bible scientific sophistication and accuracy, I hope that you guys realize that the Bible is always ahead of scientists, okay, and the astronomers. Centuries ago, do you guys know the men's brightest minds that we had assumed that the earth was flat? That was what our scientists were telling us of the day. Smartest people in the world. Well, in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 22, it spoke about the circle of the earth. Okay? Uh, Hebrew word shug. Okay? Circle. That's what the Bible teaches us. And then we were told nearly 3,500 years ago by Job 26, verse 7, God said the earth hangs on nothing. It hangs on nothing. Have you guys seen some of those pictures from the satellites? That's pretty cool. Why? Because this is a modern discovery in the scientific world, guys. Most of humanity throughout all time have not believed this, but God's word spoke to it. We should trust the Lord. You see, the human author of Genesis was Moses. You guys remember where he was raised? Egypt, right? He had the finest schools. Yet, the Egyptians believed that the earth was formed when an egg appeared in the sea and it hatched the sun god. We have the Greeks. They believed the earth was held on the arms of this giant named Atlas. We have Hindus. They taught that the earth sat on the back of three elephants that were standing on a huge sea tortoise. This is what the people throughout the ages have believed except for the Judean Christian, because they believe the word of God. See, these were prevailing notions of the day, yet Moses pens words that even modern minds considered sophisticated and brilliant. So how did Moses compose such an accurate statement? Well, obviously, the creator himself told him these things, right? That's how he knew. So let me say that if you can believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you'll have no problem believing the other 31,173 verses that you have in the Bible. 
For God created the universe. He's the one who set the laws in motion, and he can intervene or interrupt those laws if and how he chooses to do so. If God can do all these things, parting the Red Sea, would that be a problem for him? No. Or how about causing the sun to stand still? Do you guys know that NASA actually has data and prove that there was a day back in history that the sun stood still? Scientifically, they can prove that. Where do we read about? We read about that happening in the Bible. Joshua, so cool, God. Yeah. Um, Or multiplying five loaves or rising from the dead. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, how can you not believe these other things? So, in fact, guys, if God created the universe, the problems you're facing are no challenge to him. So the God who created the heavens can fix a cracked marriage. He can corral a rebellious teenager. Or he can heal the sick. He can find a job for you. And he can give you strength in a struggle. Don't put God in a box. Our God is a big God. Man, he spoke, and there was life. And how many of you guys, God has spoken life into you? And that is a miracle. I don't see the miracles of God anywhere. Talk to somebody who's born again in the Spirit of God. God's saving people every single day. I want to share with you guys, Bible teacher Dan uh, Dehan, he said it best. The Christian has learned to believe in one big, bold miracle. God. And everything else falls into place. An atheist denies God and must have a miracle for every other created thing. I think that's right on. So, we are going to go to verse 2 now. I know. (laughs) The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So this scene, guys, it's not what you would, we would expect. In chapter 1, each aspect of God's creation here, it's considered good, right? In verse 31, he summarizes it all as being very good. But here the earth is unformed, it's unfilled. The Hebrew phrase phrase here is uh, tahu wabahu, okay? Its terminology usually describes an aftermath of judgment. So in verse 2, the earth is shapeless, it's an empty mess, just a vast sea shrouded in darkness. It reminds me of a joke I heard recently. A doctor, an engineer, and a lawyer. It's going to be good. They were arguing over whose profession could be considered the oldest. Well, the doctor noted that God performed surgery on Adam when he created Eve. He opened up Adam's side, proving the medical profession was the oldest. The engineer, though, pointed to creation. In just six days, God started with chaos and confusion and constructed the universe. But that's when the lawyer jumped in and said... Where do you think the chaos and confusion came from? (laughs) I love you, my lawyer brothers and sisters. I just thought it was a good one. Anyways, I want to share with you guys out of the prophet Isaiah. You can mark down chapter 45, verse 18. It casts some light for you and I on verse 2 here. It says this, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, Who is God? Who formed the earth and made it? Who has established it? Who did not create it in vain? Who formed it to be inhabited? So Isaiah says that it was not created in vain, or that tohu, okay? The same word that was used in Genesis 1, verse 2. So in other words, Genesis says the earth was created tohu, or unformed. Isaiah says it was not. It was formed in and inhabitable so which is it perhaps it's both when it comes to creation there is so much that is beyond any of our pay scales okay you understand that there are so many floating theories out there and if god was able to do this with both awesome okay uh but verse 
2 goes on to tell you and I, the Spirit of God, it was hovering over the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Literally, light was. That's what happened. Aren't you guys thankful for light? Yeah. Many of you would have made it to church today without light. Okay? Light is one of the great uh, mysteries that we have when it comes to the universe. No one really knows what it is, and at times it acts like a wave, and at other times, particle. So light can penetrate another substance without altering or marring it. It's kind of like a spiritual light quality, right? So the Bible says God is light. So light seems to have an unveiling of the glory of God. Psalm 104 verse 2 says that God covers himself with light as a garment, okay? And again, don't get confused with the existence of light before creation of the sun. Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 states that there is no sun in heaven. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light. He is that light. So at the beginning, well, we need the sun. We need the light for this stuff to work. Well, God was there in the beginning, guys. Okay, The light was there. So God is the ultimate power plant. That's the way I like to look at it. Okay, Nothing brighter than him. All-consuming light. Oh, man. I can't wait. How many of you guys are looking forward to seeing God someday face-to-face? It's going to be wonderful. Uh, verse 4. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. In the darkness, he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Even today, guys, the Jews start their day at 6 p.m. Unlike us, their evening comes before their morning. So a secular day ends at nightfall. Uh, A biblical day ends with sunlight. So God wants his kids to know that no matter how dark it gets, at the end of the day, the sun will rise. I love that. I wish we were doing that. Anyways, let's move on to verse 6. We're flying. (laughs) Verse 6. Then God said, Let there be a light in the firmament, in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament. So this is the sky, guys, or the atmosphere. And he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. So on day two, God separated the water covering the earth's surface from the water that was suspended above the earth. He established that hydrosphere and the atmosphere, okay? Um, Don't we love humidity in the summer? I will take that any day over wind chill of 30 below today, okay? (laughs) Um, We realize that the atmosphere, it's saturated, guys, uh, with vapor. But did you guys realize the amount of water suspended in our atmosphere? It's really staggering. Catch this. There's 54,460,000,000,000 tons of water hanging in our atmosphere. God is awesome. He's awesome. You think of our hydrologic cycle. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. And God created that perfectly to work to sustain planet Earth. What What engineering? That's so cool. And the amount of water vapor, okay, it may have even been heavier at the time of Noah than it is today. It's believed that one of the physical causes of Noah's flood was the collapse of this huge giant vapor canopy that was, uh, at that time, uh, shrouded the earth, okay? And it all came crashing down. That's how the earth was flooded, which would make a lot of sense to have that type of protection. Do you guys know that lizards could grow really, 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 really big? You guys ever wonder how the dinosaurs got so big? Yeah. Things in those type of settings grow faster. That's observable science. We see that today. It would make sense. And where did all that water come from? To, Anyways, we're going to get into Noah. We'll talk about that when we get there. Verse 8, because we got to get through a whole chapter. Um, verse 8 then ends day 2 for you and I. 
It says, And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Remember, guys, that there are three heavens. Okay, We have the earth's atmosphere, which would be one. Okay, um, And then uh, that's mentioned here. And then we have outer space, which would be the second heavens. And then we read in the Bible about the third heaven, right? And that would be where God is, uh, heaven itself. So it's interesting that after all six days of creation, God said it was good except for one day. Did you guys catch that? It was the second day. So the question follows, why? Well, it could be that God knew that this vapor canopy he had created would be used to judge the world. He also knew that Satan would become the prince of the power of the air, right? That he created. See, there's another possible reason, and I'm going to mention that a little bit later. Let's look at verse 9 here. We'll look at the third day. Then God said, Let the water, or waters under the heavens, be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So God corrals here the sea, and he produces dry land on the third day. So remember on the, third, or on the first day, God separates light from darkness. On the second day, he separates the hydrosphere and the atmosphere. Now on the third day, he separates the sea and the land. Do you guys know that God establishes boundaries? And that is a good thing. He said it was good, the separation. Boundaries are good. Without them, life becomes dangerous and chaotic. Boundaries bring order. So don't resent the boundaries that God places into your lives. They are good. There are boundaries that are black and white as we study the scriptures. We just don't go there. Okay? And then there's things in your life personally that God has been speaking to you that you need to make some boundaries and be okay. But God, it's a good thing. If God lays down that boundary, even though it might be a good thing, you don't go there. You don't do it. God has called us to be separated apart for Him. And what is He calling us to? What boundaries need to be in place that we can be about His purposes, His will for our lives? Good word? Good word. Verse 11, check this out. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed. It was so funny, guys. <clears throat> when I spend time in the jail, okay, I love talking scripture with guys and gals, okay? But uh, all the inmates, this was like the one verse they knew. Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb of the seed. Is marijuana really bad? It, I know this verse and God says it's good. It's the one verse they knew. We had wonderful conversation around that, which we'll talk about that when we get into chapters 3, 4, 5, 6. We're going to talk about dispensations uh, together. But he goes on to say the fruit tree, it yields fruit according to its kind, um, whose seed in itself on the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You guys notice that the grasses and the herbs and the trees, they didn't evolve. I don't see that here. Everything was created according to its kind. So the evening and the morning were the third day. I believe the third day marked a, a, a decisive victory, okay, um, when it comes to creation. Um, Satan, <laughs> Satan doesn't like anything God does, okay? Um, if you've come to Christ, we are told in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation. When you put your faith in Christ and you're born again of the Spirit, you become that new creation. Satan hates that. He hates you, that you are now a child of God, that your eyes have been now opened, that you have the spirit of the living God living in you who's going to guide you into truth. He can no longer be the father of lies and sway you in those things. Okay, He's lost that stronghold. 
So, when it comes to what God does, Satan doesn't like this. So I think Satan would have vigorously fought God over the emergence of this dry land while the sea was covered and the earth there, uh, there was no dirt on God or on the, on the planet for God to create man. Do you guys know how special man is to God? Out of all that he created, okay, man was his greatest accomplishment. You see, it's interesting that thousands of years later, another uh, decisive victory was won on a third day. Didn't our Lord and Savior rise from the grave on the third day? Was he not the first fruits? I think that it's interesting that that phraseology was the first fruits of the resurrection. The third day. I think that's pretty cool. And again, life appeared on the third day. Look at verse 14. Then God said, let the lights, there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So on day one, God unveiled and released the light. And on day four here, guys, he now harnesses the light and he concentrates it in the sun and in the stars. Then God made two great lights, okay, the sun and the moon, the greater light being the sun to rule the day and the lesser light, uh, the moon, to rule the night. The ancients, they had this reversed because of their apparent size in the sky, they thought the moon was the greater light and the sun was the lesser. But the Bible is right again, right? Verse 16, he made the stars also. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like a side note, right? He made, the, you know, the, the 100 billion trillion stars out there, the 100 trillion galaxies that we've observed out there, uh, there are probably you know, that many books trying to offer explanation on how they were uh, formed, came into to being. But here's a subject of intense human interest is star formation. Okay? There's so much awe. You turn on the Science Channel, Discovery Channel, they're always talking about this stuff. But God gives us the explanation in just five words. He made the stars also, wow. Again, we don't need all those books. Where did those stars come from? God created them. It just goes to prove that our priorities are not God's priorities. The Bible gives five little words on the formation of the stars, whereas he devotes 50 chapters to discussion of the tabernacle. Think about that for a second. The place where God would meet with Israel. How often do we get caught up in priorities that are probably not that big of a deal? What does God care about? You see, we're preoccupied with creation, but God is more concerned with redemption. That's the big picture. I've been enjoying Genesis and talking creation with you guys. I like this stuff. Some of you guys really dig this stuff too. But big picture, guys... It's all about Jesus coming to redeem us. That's big picture. That's gospel picture. That's what the Bible's about. Let's move on. Verse 17, God set them, the sun and the moon and the stars in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. You guys, I think in verse 17 here, God sets the stars in the firmament here. But in other words, he gives them their orbit. Okay, He tells us why in verse 14. They'll be for signs and seasons. Did you guys catch that? That's their purpose. So we know about the seasons, right? But what about the signs? You guys ever interested in that? What are they talking about? Well, there's a theory that before 
Satan corrupted it, the Zodiac preached the gospel. Have you guys ever heard this before? Okay, Psalms uh, 147 verse 4 tells us he counts the number of the stars and he calls them by name. So God gave the stars their names. Okay, Adam named the animals, God, God got to do the stars. And I'm sure his names are way cooler than what ours are, right? You know, 3B8, 11, 12. That's what they named stars. It's so, they're so goofy. Anyways, the zodiac, of course, um, is the path the earth travels through the stars. Today it begins with Aries, but originally it was Virgo. And it's interesting that the Gospels begin with what? The virgin birth. But Revelation tells us that he's going to come a second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the last of the twelfth sign of the ancient zodiac is Leo the lion. Kind of cool, huh? Don't misunderstand. Satan's corrupted it. Don't get into the Zodiac junk. <laughs> it's messed up. A lot of people read into it and they get off biblically because they're taking these signs over what God's word. But I just think it's an interesting uh, thought, okay, when you consider the stars being there for signs, okay? But the Bible does teach us and forbids us consulting the stars. So don't, don't do it, okay? Okay. Um, let me make one more point about creation in the stars. Uh, one reason, uh, one of the many reasons astronomers assume the universe is billions of years old is the distance between the Earth and stars. Have you guys heard this before? Okay, if you had high school science classes, you have. Um, there are stars, um, they're millions of light years away. A light year is the distance that it takes that light to travel uh, in a year's time. So if we see a star 4 billion light years away, then the Earth needs to be at least 4 billion years old, is what they would say. Or does it? How many people have you ever, um, homecoming, went to the store and bought some uh, toilet paper, and you went, it went around and threw that toilet paper at things? Yeah, a few, a few of you are sinners out there. Well, for the sinners out there, you would understand this then. Um, <laughs> what happens, okay, is you throw that roll of toilet paper, right? Uh, most of us have probably done that at one point or another, but God uh, may have hurled the stars into orbit uh, in a way of unrolling that light. Who's to say he didn't? Think about that. So stars, again, the stars were for who? for us and if man was created you know immediately in the beginning there of genesis 1 and the stars were there to be signs for them uh don't you think they would have to be able to see them okay anyways i just think the starlight could have been created in transit uh you know before or as the star itself was created so there are other possibilities that would preclude an old earth uh, how do we know that the speed of life travels the same rate um, through the universe? We don't. Uh, there may be warps in space where the light dramatically speeds up. And how do we know the speed of light has not um, been consistent throughout time? Okay, There's a lot of people in the scientist community that aren't Christians that are making some great arguments scientifically that the speed has changed over time. Okay, um, So there's much we don't know. That's what I do know, okay? Uh, look at verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God has formed the earth and now he begins uh, to fill the earth with life. So God created the sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. So God fills the sky with birds and the seas with fish. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, or saying, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So on the sixth day, guys, God creates these creepy crawlers 
and insects and land animals. Look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth, uh, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So ten times in Genesis chapter 1, guys, we are told that God created according to its kind. Have you guys caught that? Why would God make that point over and over and over and over again? Because he knows how, I don't want to say stupid, but how stupid we would get. He wanted to be very clear on this point. Because we're lying to our kids about this truth right across the street here at the public school. They're being taught that this is not true. You see, it's true that God created in life a genetic makeup with a degree of flexibility. Living things can adapt to their environment. Do you guys know that? We see that. That's observable. These adaptations are called mutations, right? But there are limits to these adaptations. The genetic structure of these living things are fixed by God that life reproduces only in the natural family of kinds. That's the way he's created it. That's what we are able to observe scientifically. Mutations are possible, but not transmutations. A fish doesn't become a bird. It doesn't. And thank the Lord for mutations. All my kids turned out better looking than me. <laughs> but they're still Churchills. And granted, at times they act like monkeys, but they're still Churchills, according to their kind. And we are going to reproduce Churchills. That's what happens. Each generation according to its kind. This is a great failure of evolution. With all the fossils that we have found, there's a glaring absence of the transitional forms. The missing link is still missing. And yet we're willing to lie. Shame on us. I thought we were called to educate, to teach our children. I think it'd be great if we taught them the truth. It's not my faith, guys. I believe my faith trusts the word of God. But we need to be reasonable and logical. We do not suppress the truth to make excuses to do away with God. That is the worst thing that we could do to anybody. And that's what we are choosing to do. So in just six days, guys, God created the earth and makes it fit for his crowning creation, man. Which brings up an interesting question. Were the six days of creation a literal 24 hours? Were they? Yes? No? Or were they long periods of days? Ages? We've talked a little bit about this. But I want to camp because someone threw out the word yom, and I used to make this argument. But this is why we study the word of God. Okay, the Hebrew word for day, yom. You guys know that it appears 1,424 times in the scriptures? And there's 51 different meanings to that one word in the scriptures. So to say that it's a literal day, I really was dogmatic about it. No, the word yom, it's 24. Okay, don't do that. But if you take these days as long, geological ages of millions of years, we've got some problems. For example, plants are created on the third day that requires pollination and insects in order to survive, correct? Right. But insects don't appear until what day? The fifth. So if there are two days, they're separated by millions of years, okay, the plants, they would have never survived. It just doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. It's not Logical. I personally believe the language suggests six 24-hour periods of time 
in that little phrase we kept reading, the evening and the morning, that's pretty specific, isn't it? That's a 24-hour window right there. That supports the idea. So it's possible the universe is quite old. I don't personally believe this, but it could be. But the reassembly of the earth, okay, the creation of mankind, that is a recent event. Records of human history in the Bible's genealogies only go back just over 6,000 years. Okay? We're digging up stuff all the time, and the oldest stuff we're finding you know, is about 5,000 years old. I got to walk through the Vatican. They got a lot of junk in there. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Just a lot of stuff from all over the world. But the oldest thing I found that was actually dated was 4,700 years ago. That's kind of cool. So, um, uh, so much could be said about that. Um, actually, I believe that the scientific reasons to believe, there's a lot of them, um, in a very young earth. Okay, If you guys spend the time, read the articles, be reasonable in your thinking, be truthful with the facts that are set before you, Okay, I, I think that's a logical conclusion. Again, we have our own choice in what we want to believe. Just don't suppress the truth to do away with God. If the evidence points you there, humble yourself and be real with the evidence. Um, but even as you know, young earth being you know, maybe a few thousand years old, if the speed of light has decayed over time, then it would throw off the atomic clocks. Okay? I just watched something on this with my kiddos. Um, it, it, it companions... Um, <laughs> Uh, anyways, the radioactive dating techniques, we have all this stuff that people try. Carbon-14, you guys have heard of that, okay? When it comes to dating old things, verifying decay rates, assumptions about initial composition, seepage possibilities, they all distort the accuracy of these types of methods, especially when it comes to old ages. We know they get really far off with old ages, when we carbon date something, you guys know we can tell how old things are over millions and millions of years by all these layers. It's crazy. We can come up here and carbon date something. It'll come up really old, and then we'll go down some layers and find the same kind of settlement, and we carbon date way down here, and they come up at the exact same age. Well, wait, wait a minute. There's millions of, okay? Carbon-14 dating isn't an absolute and one of the things is we can see how fast things are decaying. It's kind of like a candlestick, okay? We can see in rate and see how quickly it's decaying, but nobody was there to know when it was lit. How long was that candle when it got started? We don't know, <laughs> okay? Um, anyways, other factors also point to a young earth, the decay rate of the earth's magnetic field, the mineral... Uh, composition of the oceans, the existence of, uh, of short period comets. I mean, there's a, so many things that point to it. But ultimately, guys, we can know these things. We can look into it. We can see the science. But ultimately, it comes down to someone really seeking the Lord. Okay? And I know so many people, atheists, <laughs> who come to know Jesus Christ that are great apologists for the faith today. The things they once held to. Okay? believed with all their heart. They had all the proof in the world to disprove the Bible. Well, they get radically saved, and guess what? <laughs> Those facts weren't actually facts. And now they're digging in, and they're being real. They're being logical, and things are pointing to intelligent design, a creator, which just kind of makes sense. Okay? God doesn't, he's not a God of confusion. Look at creation. What does it tell you? There's a creator. I, I think that's pretty simple, don't you guys? Anyways, ever wonder how old uh, did Adam look when he was created? You guys ever wonder that? Did he come out, you know, uh, day one? <laughs> you know, was he a perfect human specimen? Probably, okay? Uh, he was probably in the body of a 43-year-old. Well, may, <laughs> may, maybe a 33-year-old, <laughs> But he was created in maturity. Okay, that, that's what we know. Uh, remember the trees in the Garden of Eden also appeared in mature form. Okay, they were created with fruit on their branches. They were mature already. So no doubt God uh, created eggs with yolks. 
the trees in the Garden of Eden probably had annular rings. So did Adam have a belly button? Okay. <laughs> These are the type of questions you get when you're a pastor. But <laughs> if he did, uh, it was probably an example of the appearance of age. That's how God created things. So were there appear, or appears to be physical evidence of lengthy ages or maybe billions of years, it's possible it's a result of God creating the earth in a state of maturity. You know, It's not that old, but it looks old because that's the way God made it. Could be. But it doesn't mean it's 13.8 billion years old. Um, in verse 26, we're going to wrap this up. The stage is set for the capstone of creation. Earth's system, uh, all the systems have been formed to what? To support human life. That's what this is all about. To support human life. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us. Wait, who created in the beginning? God. Who's this us? Well, most of you, if you've been around long enough, you know that we believe the Bible. And we believe that God teaches that he is triune. Father, Son, and Spirit. And these three are one. So when he says stuff like this, it doesn't trip us out because it's what the Bible teaches. Okay? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female and created them. So all life was created according to its kind. The offspring reflects the parent. But God does one step further with humanity. Okay? We alone are made in God's image. Isn't that cool? So, we not only reflect our Heavenly Father, but we also reflect our earthly fathers so there is this uniqueness when it comes to humanity and let me tell you what how <laughs> we wouldn't be struggling and seeing just so much evil and hate okay um my wife's um teaching which book are you teaching or going to teach coming up on racism oh to kill a mockingbird okay so she's gonna have to address a lot when it comes to racism in the class and there is so much conversation going on today with the black lives movement okay racism sucks okay there's no reason why we should treat black people the way we have over the centuries that is just wrong and evil and there's so much today trying to make right the way minorities are oppressed okay we're trying to make things right and there's a lot of conversation that is just way off okay the goal might be a good one <laughs> but the efforts to get there are way off because it comes back to truth if every single human being has been made in the image of god if we believe this every single human being has worth okay they have worth. We are all created the same. The Bible teaches us that there is no race. Or racism, race is. There's one race. That's what the scriptures teach us. But my concern is, are we willing to go to God's word and stand upon the truth when we talk about these uh, issues that we are facing as a people? Are we willing to stand on the truth of God's word. Because it is very black and white and very simple when we consider what's going on. This evil is wrong. It is sin. But are we willing to address it as such? Are we willing to humble ourselves and say, God, you know what? You're right. This is wrong. We need to repent. We need to start loving each other. There is equality. We've all been created in your image. And because of that, we love one another. We have worth. And I think for you and I, brother and sister Christians, we need to stand in the black and white conversation. Because all the conversations that I'm hearing, a lot of good arguments, a lot of good points, but they're not willing to talk the truth. 
And when you leave God out of the equation, we lose the point of humanity. We're left as being animals. Human beings, we're just like every other animal. Survival of the fittest. This is the junk we're teaching our kids in the government schools. We suppress the truth. And this is the byproduct of what we get. And we've seen that throughout history. What we're facing today is not a new problem. Okay? Racism's been a problem since the beginning. It's always been there. Why? Because we are selfish, sinful people. We need to repent, believe God, and do what he asks us to do. Amen? Amen. So speak the truth. Oh, boy. Super sidetracked. What were we talking? Oh, (laughs) image of God, right? We not only reflect our earthly father, but our heavenly father. I think that's really cool. Humanity is made in the image of God in numerous ways. Consider this with me. Our spirituality, our uh, morality, our rationality, our creativity, okay? Both God and man are relational. We enjoy fellowship. Both are self-determining. We make our own choices. But I think first and foremost, humans were made in God's image that we were made to rule. Well, where do I get that from? From the Word of God. Check out verses 28 and 29 here. God tells man and woman uh, and every human thereafter, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you the every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So God spent six days, guys, creating the earth to support the creature he loves the most, and he made in his image. So earth was made for man. Um, what I'm about to say here is not politically correct in environmental circles, but animals, fish, and fall were made for the survival and enjoyment of man. That's what we read in Scripture. Okay? It's okay to eat meat. Enjoy it. But the herbs and the fruit also were made for man, so if you want to be a veg head, you got the biblical mandate. Like, <laughs> um, man was given dominion over the earth, though. That's what we're taught here. Authority to rule over nature. And this understanding is the difference between Western and Eastern civilization. Okay, think on this with me for a second. The West, okay, reared in the Judean Christian thought, has, through advances in science and technology, has learned to harness nature to our own benefit. The Bible teaches that man is separate from nature and it's job to subdue and to use its power. Whereas in the East, dominated by uh, pantheism, the belief that man is just a part of nature, um, one with nature, and rather than subdue nature or to rule over it, it's to harmonize with one's surroundings. Okay, Does that sound familiar? Yeah, a lot of people I know here in the West are getting into that type of religion, that type of of thinking so this is why cows roam freely in india while people are dying of starvation it's because of their religious mindset is their belief system so it's a society's religion that either holds it back or motivates it to development okay and god has given us the earth it's for us to enjoy we should take care of it too okay look at verse 30 we'll wrap this up also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So there you have it, guys. In six days, God created, placed the object of his affections on, his, on its throne and on the seventh day he rested i think that's pretty cool so in our final moments together i want to partake of the lord's table with you guys Uh, could i get a couple of the men to pass out the elements and as we partake of communion together as we conclude our service here this morning 
Um, I'm going to ask of you guys to partake only if you are a believer in Christ. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, uh, you need to do that. (laughs) Um, And how do you do that? You need to repent. You need to put your faith in Him. You need to trust with all your heart. Believe on Him. Confess with your mouth that He is Savior. You'll be saved. That's what the Scriptures teach us. So, as these guys pass it out, I have a little devotional thought from Genesis chapter 1 that I want to share with you guys as we consider the Lord's table together. I know some of you guys at home have been partaking with us when we do this right at home that's cool but one thing that i do love about partaking of communion together it is our common faith that's why we're here this morning is jesus it's because of, because of him he's the redeemer of the world the savior of the world So as these guys wrap up passing out these, I want to just consider with you guys an observation that uh, I made here from Genesis chapter 1. Again, I definitely believe in the literalness of the scriptures, okay, Um, of what we read here this morning. But I also believe that scripture teaches lessons on several levels, okay, There's a lot that we went through this morning. If you've been in the Lord for a while and studying the scriptures, there's a lot more connections that you've been making and the Holy Spirit's been taking you some cool places as we've been going through this together. Thank you, brother. Um, In the Bible, when it comes to the creation story, um, it is a classic example, uh, really, of the Bible's reach. Consider with me Genesis 1. It records the birth of planet Earth. But it's bigger than that. You see, God's creation, it also parallels the gospel, and it's embedded in Genesis 1. Again, we looked at day one of creation, right? And it's there that God brought forth light. The gospel begins with the light of the world that comes and shines in the darkness. Jesus Christ, right? On day two, we saw a separation that occurred. And that's what happened on the cross. Jesus bore our sin, took all our sins upon himself, and he was separated from the Father. First time ever in all time that there was fellowship that was broken between the Father and the Son because he took, he became sin for us. Separation took place upon that cross. And did you guys remember that day two was the only day that it said nothing about being good? It was not a good day. Day three, plant life appears. Likewise, it was on the third day that Jesus rose from the dead. New life appeared because Jesus overcame darkness. We too have life beyond the grave. He became the first fruit of the resurrection. On day four, the stars were put into place as signs to earth's inhabitants. Today, we carry on the job of the stars. How do we do that, brother and sister? We share the gospel. Doesn't the Daniel tell us that we will shine as stars, those who bring the gospel, who uh, share uh, with others? And I think of the moon, Okay, of itself, it has no light, right? It's only reflecting the sun. That's all we get to do, brother and sister. We're reflecting Jesus. On day five, God fills the sea and the sky, the wind and the waves. I think about the work of the Holy Spirit. His power is like a mighty wind. His word washes like water. On day six, man is created to take dominion over the earth. And at the second coming of Jesus, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, will return to rule the planets. And you guys know day seven? A day of rest. And did you guys catch it? There's a rest that still remains. The seventh day this morning, it didn't end, did it? There was no morning and evening on the seventh day. It did not end. 
Okay? And we know that Christ is going to return and there's a sabbatical rest for 1,000 years when he is ruling and reigning upon this planet. We get to enter that rest. We have that to look forward to. And what we do this morning is we partake of the bread and the cup together. We're proclaiming his life, his death, until he comes. We're looking forward to that. For him to come and make everything right. Because let me tell you what, we messed it up pretty good. <laughs> so the story of creation, it really does foreshadow redemption. Do you guys see that? I think that's pretty cool. So from the beginning, even before Adam's sin, God loved us so much that he already had, he was planning salvation. That from the get-go, he had planned it. So Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. Pretty cool, huh? Cool. Let's partake together of the bread and the cup. Father, we are thankful this morning for this time together. We are thankful for your word. Thank you that you are right and that you are good. That you created this earth, God, for us. It was a good thing. God, we've been created to draw near to you. As we have come here this morning, as we sang praise, as we heard your word, as We partook of your table. We thank you, Father, that you are here with us. God, that you have promised to be near those who will draw near to you. You are faithful to that promise. God, we thank you so much that you've given us a hope that is real, a hope that we can share with this world. We thank you that our foundation is sure. It's not on sifting sand, but it's upon that solid rock. It's upon you, Jesus, we stand. Thank you so much, Lord, for uh, just blessing us much, giving us much, Lord. We thank you for the truth that can set us free. You've created us for uh, you and to enjoy really freedom. It's for freedom's sake you came. You've given each one of us a choice. You're not going to force us to believe. You're not going to force us to do this or that, Lord. But we sure get to. And what a gift you've given to us, Lord, to be able to know you, to love you, to do life with you, to enjoy the blessing of fellowship as we have here this morning, to enjoy life. I know Satan's good at ripping people off. I do pray for those brothers and sisters. We collectively just want to pray for those who are struggling just been overwhelmed going through trials in this life, God. Would you be the lifter of their head today? Help them to look upon you to remember how much you love them. God, that we weren't an afterthought. (laughs) You had a plan all along. And it is good. It is beautiful. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being who you are. Being our Savior. Being our Creator. I pray that you give us grace, Lord, to keep walking keep trusting, keep looking to you. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.